Well, this morning, I want to preach a message called Impossible Christmas. Now, you may already feel it's been an impossible season, but that's not what I mean today, and I think you'll understand as we go. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 says, The Lord himself will give you a miraculous sign. The virgin is going to have a baby. She will give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. Luke 1.37 says, Nothing is impossible with God. Lord, in these next few moments, use your word to fill our hearts. And Holy Spirit, I invite you to make the invisible visible in our lives. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Well, when we look at the Christmas story, I think we have to agree that the truth is it is impossible in human terms. Professor Peter Stoner from Westmont College wrote a book many years ago called Science Speaks. He looked at the scientific probability of the birth of Jesus taking place in Bethlehem. In all of history, one man in 2.8 times 10 to the fifth power was born in Bethlehem. Most scholars believe that Bethlehem at the time of the birth of Jesus had about 300 inhabitants, though indeed it was larger than that because of the census at the time of Jesus' birth. It was highly unlikely and improbable that anyone be born in Bethlehem, much less the Son of God. Now beyond that, there are 300 Old Testament prophecies that Jesus fulfilled in his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Mathematically, the odds of anyone fulfilling this number of prophecies is simply impossible. One person fulfilling eight of those prophecies would be a, a probability of one in 100 times plus 15 zeros. I don't even know what they call that. Gazillion. I don't know what they call it. Anyway. But someone filling 48 of those prophecies, of those 300, just 48 of them, would be a 1 in 10 to the 157th power probability. But one person fulfilling all 300 prophecies is only Jesus, the Son of God. Amen. Now, the truth is that fulfilling just the prophecies surrounding Christmas and the story of Christmas was impossible. The city of Bethlehem a star rising out of Jacob, a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, son of David, born in Bethlehem but coming out of Egypt. How do you do that? A virgin who would have a baby, absurd, unreasonable, impossible. And yet Christmas reminds us as the angel declared to Mary that the impossible is possible and nothing is impossible with God. Now, this is a great time of year, and as I reflect on this time of year, I'm always amazed. I'm astounded. I'm a bit overwhelmed at times and caught up in the rapture of worship and just the, um, the mystery of how God could become human and save us, that he could move into our neighborhood and become one of us so he could get close enough to us to understand us well and we could touch him, feel him, and know him. I'm always amazed by it. Usually during this time of year, and I've already done that a couple of times this year, I take my Bible, I read the account in Matthew, the account in Luke, I read the account in John even, usually by the fireplace, just sitting, meditating, thinking about this amazing account, this amazing story. 
Eugene Sterner said, Christmas is when God came down the stairs of heaven with a baby in his arms. J.I. Packer said, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. And C.H. Spurgeon, the great preacher, said it this way, infinite and an infant, eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet hanging on a woman's breast, supporting a universe and yet needing to be carried in his mother's arms, king of angels and yet the reputed son of Joseph, heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. I'm amazed by it all. It is improbable. It is absurd. It is impossible. Son of God and Son of Man at the same time. Very God and very man. All in one. All in a baby. Amazing. Impossible. And yet, Christmas is true. Impossible to man. Impossible to any means we could think of. And yet, God made it possible. For with God, nothing is impossible according to Gabriel's word to Mary. It is true. The impossible was made possible. But how? How was this done? How could the impossible become possible in the person of Jesus Christ? Now today, what I want to talk about is how this miracle happened and how in your life, impossibilities can become possible. Now, as you come into this Christmas time and this year's Christmas. You may be facing immense impossibilities in your life or in your heart or even in your mind. And you wonder, is it possible that I can get through this, that I can get over this? Or is it even possible that what God said to me long ago could come to pass? And I want to say to you this morning and drive home in your heart that the impossible is possible with the God we serve. Yeah, give him praise right there. It's, it's possible. But how? So let's look a little bit at what happened in the life of Mary and in this first Christmas of how impossibilities become possible. First of all, for the impossible to become possible in God's economy, you need a word from God. A word from God. The angel Gabriel gave Mary a word. And that word was true. Christmas happened because God said it would. A virgin conceived because God said she would. Bethlehem was the city because God declared it would be. What happened at that first Christmas came because God gave his word. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. For no word from God will ever fail. Now when you have a word from God, all of a sudden what seems totally impossible becomes possible. A word from scripture, a rhema word in your spirit, a word that God has given you, turns impossibilities into possibilities. You know, when you have a word from God, you can walk on water. Peter did, right? When you have a word from God, you can divide a Red Sea. Moses did. When you have a word from God, you can cause a river to stand up on its end. Joshua did. 
When you have a word from God, you can heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead. When you have a word from God, you can see what is impossible, what is invisible, what has never happened before happen. When you have a word from God, you can cause the sun to stand still or the rain to come in the midst of drought. But you need a word from God. How many of you have ever had a word from God? Come on, lift your hand. Now, I'm not just talking about a scripture that you read, except when that scripture became alive to your spirit. It's called a rhema word. It's called a now word. All of a sudden, what has been on the pages of the book comes alive in your heart and your mind and spirit, and you know that God has given you a word. When God gives you a word, you can depend on it. Come on, give God praise. God gave Mary a word. The second thing that has to happen is... There needs to be a believing, prayerful heart. Mary responded with her whole heart. She said this to angel Gabriel, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left her. The impossible becomes possible when someone believes God's word in their life. In fact, when you have faith, you move out of the impossibility zone into the possibility zone. You move out of what is improbable into that that will become probable because you believe. Abraham proved this to us, and he is the father of the faithful. Abraham got a word from God. He got a word that his seed would possess the land of Canaan. He got a word that his seed would be as the stars of the sky and as the sand upon the seashore. And scripture says, Abraham believed God and God counted it unto him as righteousness. He believed God when it was impossible and yet it became possible because he had a word and believed God. Now his wife Sarah had a harder time with this uh, word from God. So there was, along the journey over the years, three angels came to visit Abraham. They were on their way to Gomorrah and Sodom to condemn the city, and they stopped by to Abraham because God uh, wouldn't do what he was going to do without telling his servant Abraham. And so they discussed with Abraham what's about to happen in Sodom. And then one of the angels asked Abraham, said, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's over in the tent. Sarah was standing in the tent door listening to the angels talk to her husband. And she heard one of the angels say to him, About this time next year, Abraham, I'm coming back to visit you. And when I do, Sarah is going to have a baby. And when Sarah heard this at the tent door, she started laughing. She said, Are you kidding me? I'm an old woman. My skin looks like drapery on my arms. My hair is gray. I've already passed the time of childbearing. I, 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 I've been through menopause and all kinds of stuff a long time ago. She was 90 years old at the time. So she just laughed. When she did, the angel said, uh, why is Sarah laughing? And Sarah said, I, I, I'm not laughing. <laughs> and then the angel said this, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Abraham believed God. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Listen to this. 
against all hope. Abraham believed in Abraham and hope believed and so became the father of many nations just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. He didn't run from the facts. Did you hear that? He faced the facts. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Wow. Abram said, I'm an old man. I can't have children anymore. Sarah is an old woman. I don't, probably, he probably didn't say that to her just like that, but she can't have children anymore. He faced the facts and believed God anyway. Why? Because God said it, and he knew if God said it, he could believe it, and it will come to pass. Come on, give God praise. I was reflecting on this sermon. I wanted to look up this. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? And, and it led me to another passage in Jeremiah 32. The prophet Jeremiah has been prophesying that Jerusalem and Judah are going to be taken over by a northern kingdom called Babylon. In fact, uh, at this moment in Jeremiah 32, Babylon is at the door. They've already built their ramps up to the walls of Jerusalem, and they're going to take the city. And Jeremiah is now in prison because of his negative prophecies telling the king, the city is going to fall and you're going to be defeated. Everybody else said it's going to be all right. He was facing the truth. You're going to be defeated. So he's in prison. One day in prison, the Holy Spirit speaks to him. And God says to him, tomorrow about this time, your cousin is coming, Hanamiel, and he's going to ask you to buy a piece of property in Jerusalem. And you're to buy it. And Jeremiah must have thought to himself, right. That's like buying a piece of property in the Everglades or somewhere. You know, this fictional story of I got a good piece of property to sell you, right. The city's going to collapse. The Babylonians are taking it over. The temple's going to be torn down. The walls are going to collapse. God, I've been prophesying about this, and you're telling me to buy this property. But the next day, Hanamiel shows up, and Jeremiah, just as God had told him, buys the property. He gets the deed of the property. He turns to his servant. He says, put this deed in a, uh, in a really nice jar that will preserve it for a long time because it's going to be a long time before we see the results of this purchase. God required Jeremiah to put money with his faith. He required Jeremiah to demonstrate that he believed in the future enough to buy a piece of property in a city he knew was going to be taken over by the enemy because God also said to Jeremiah, listen to this, God said to Jeremiah, yes, they're going to be in captivity, but they're only going to be in the captivity 70 years. And after 70 years, they're coming back to Jerusalem. They're going to rebuild the temple, rebuild the wall, and they're going to inhabit this city. And by the way, God's people are in Jerusalem today and it is their capital, and they are inhabiting the city. Come on, give God praise. So after Jeremiah purchases the property and secures the deed for the long term, he says this, Ah, sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. And God answers him and says, Yes, the Babylonians are going to take the city. They're going to tear it down. They're going to raise it to the ground. They're going to capture the king. And God's people are going into captivity 
But after 70 years, they're coming back, and the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? I need that to sink in this morning. Let it sink in. Is anything too hard for God? A God that can save the world through a baby? A God who can wrap himself in human flesh in the womb of Mary and be born, put in a manger, protected by his parents supernaturally? Is there anything too hard for that God? A God that can lead his son to die on a cross to pay for your sins and raise him from the dead supernaturally and cause him to ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of the Father. That kind of God, is there anything too hard for that kind of God? So what are you facing this Christmas? Maybe you think it's too hard for God, but I want to declare to you from this pulpit, flat-footed with all of my heart, nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible with Him. Mm. So you need a word from God. You need a prayerful, believing heart. Number three, in order for the impossible to become possible, you need an appropriate time appropriate time. We get a little confused on this one, so listen closely. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. When the set time had fully come, let that sink in, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, Mary had a promise. She had a believing heart. She believed that God could do what he said he would do, although no one had ever seen a virgin conceived before. She believed this little, probably about 14-year-old girl, that God was true, that this messenger was from heaven, and that God would do to her what he said. But she needed faith for the long haul because the promise God had given her would need to gestate in her womb for nine months before she saw the visible manifestation of Jesus in the flesh. Now, let me say to you this morning, some impossibilities... Take time, God's time. Now, mammals differ in how long that they gestate from the time of conception till the time of birth. For humans, it's about 260 to 290 days. And if you're a lady in the room and you're with child, God bless you, congratulations, you're somewhere probably in that 260 to 290 days. And if you're over 300 days, God bless you a whole lot, you're suffering today. But rats, mice, and hamsters only gestate from conception to birth about 15 to 25 days. Boom. Microwave pregnancy. <laughs> and elephants, elephants gestate between conception and birth somewhere between 600 and 750 days. That means that a female elephant could be pregnant almost two years. Yeah, I heard a few of you ladies groan. I know. <laughs> Pray for the elephants. Well, the whole point of that illustration is that different promises sometimes take different lengths of time to see them manifested. And whenever God gives you a promise, it's like a seed in your heart that whatever the time is that is required for you to gestate that promise, you can rest assured it's not coming a day early and it's not coming a day late. God will bring it forth right on time. Wow. 
Abraham had a word from God 25 years before Isaac was born. By the way, Isaac means laughter. Abraham had laughed, Sarah had laughed, and they would continue to laugh in their old age, a 100-year-old man, a 91-year-old woman, having a baby right on time. 25 years he had to carry the promise in his heart, believing God every day, waking up every morning saying, God, my seed, the seed coming out of my life will bless the nations of the earth. My seed someday will be like the stars of the sky and the sands on the seashore. God, you gave me a word and I believe it. I'm old, but I still believe it. And finally, it came to pass. Might I remind you this morning, that the word of Jesus' birth, the seed of that word, started in the Garden of Eden. The Lord promised back in the Garden of Eden that there would be a seed come from woman that would bruise the serpent's head or crush the serpent's head, though he would bruise his heel. Most all scholars and I agree that this was a prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. Between the first Adam and the coming of the second Adam was a long time. And for thousands and thousands of years, earth gestated the promise, groaned under the promise. But on that first Christmas day, that evening in Bethlehem, God brought forth the promise just in time. In the fullness of time, the promise came. Wow. A census in Bethlehem. A star rising to lead the Magi. Rome in power in the world, building roads and highways that would take the message of Jesus Christ to the world. Rome ruling and having some sense of peace that would allow the gospel to prosper in a world that had gone awry and was away from God. God's timing was not askew. He was never late. No, no, no. Though it took thousands of years, he was right on time. And when Jesus was born, it was a perfect timing from heaven. What does that mean to you and I? It means sometimes we get promises from God and it takes years to see them produce. But the promise will come right on time. Wow. Haven't you seen this in your life? You pull your hair out. You cry day and night. You walk the floor. And then when the promise manifests and comes through, you say, boy, that was just in time. And the Lord just smiles and said, yep, just in, never early, at least with me, never early. Never letting me relax much. Got to keep believing, got to keep praying. But he comes right on time. When I was 16 years old, I was in a prayer meeting with my father and a young preacher up in Illinois. I lived in Kentucky. I'd been on one of the first trips of my life with my dad. We were out west, and we came all the way back through the Badlands and back over to Illinois. We stopped at this little church for a prayer meeting. And during the prayer meeting, this young preacher came over and put his hands on my head. I'm a 16-year-old. I just received Jesus about two or three months before, just been filled with the Holy Spirit a few weeks before this moment. He prayed for me, and he said, prophesied over me, you will take the gospel all around the world and preach to thousands of people. Now, at that time, I'd never preached a sermon. I wasn't even sure I was going to be called to preach, though I was sure falling in love with Jesus in those days. I'd never been on an airplane I just concluded and was concluding the longest trip I'd ever taken in a car. I didn't even have a passport, but I had a promise. Now, I didn't show up at the airport the next day, this is important, to the desk of an airline saying, I got a promise from God there ought to be a ticket here for me today. 
I've heard of people doing that. Don't do that. <laughs> I just kept serving God. And when I was 24, I found myself on my first uh, long mission trip. I was in Indonesia. We were doing a camp in the mountains of Sumatra. God was blessing. We'd seen amazing miracles. We had a girl with a deaf ear whose ear was open supernaturally. We had another girl who spoke in English and blessed the whole camp, especially us that were visiting uh, for the first time in our life. She didn't know how to speak in English. She spoke by the Spirit in English, which blessed us, a real miracle of Xenalaya, they call it. And I was really being blessed and touched by God and so grateful I was on this trip, though it was hard physically. I was laying in my bunk one night, and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit took me back to eight years before that little prayer meeting in the little white church in Rockford, Illinois, and said, Billy, I knew you would be here eight years ago. It's now been some 45 years since that moment. I've preached the gospel in 98 nations around the world personally. Our television show is on in 150 nations every week. God has blessed us amazingly. It was a true prophecy, but it was also a promise that came true in God's time. Come on, give God praise. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 36 says, You have need of patience after you've done the will of God that you might receive the promise, a word from God, a prayerful believing heart, an appropriate time. And finally this morning, how does the impossible become possible? An empowering of the Holy Spirit. Mary, though she believed God and she believed the angel, I'm amazed by this one little fact. Never been visited by an angel before. When she first saw the angel, she was troubled in her spirit. He said, you're highly favored. Every generation is going to call you blessed, she would say later on. Amazed that she could, in her uh, youth, have such spiritual maturity. To say, I believe God, let it be done to your servant, even as you say. But she did have a question. And the question to Gabriel was, how is this going to happen? How can this thing be? Luke 1, 34. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Mary the Invisible will make visible the promise. The power will bring the promise into vision. Christmas is special for my family. My grandparents lived in a town called Owensboro, Kentucky on my mom's side and Many, many years ago, they were living in deep poverty. They had a small uh, little place in the toughest end of town. It was um, about as poor as you could get in those days, barely, barely eking out a living, barely eating. My mom was born into that home, was the only child. And uh, one year at Christmas time, an assistant pastor from a local church came and knocked on the door. My grandmother and grandfather answered the door, and he said, may I come in for just a few moments and visit? They said, sure. Mom was there just as a little girl, and pastor shared just a few moments, didn't stay long, never sat down, just standing. Finally, he said to my grandparents, would you mind if we have prayer? They said, no, and he took their hands beside their meager Christmas tree, and he prayed for my grandparents. Tears came to their eyes. They felt God's presence, maybe for the first time ever. 
the assistant pastor left and told them where he served at the local church not far from their house, tough part of town. After Christmas, my grandparents decided to go to church. It wasn't long after going to that church that they both surrendered their heart to Jesus and they began to serve the Lord. They became faithful members of that church and began to give generously, obey God with their finances. And God began to lift them. He took them from that deeply impoverished state and began to bless them. My grandfather had almost no education and yet found himself doing jobs that made more money than uneducated people were supposed to make. God blessed my grandparents. They bought a piece of land. They built a small home outside of the city in a little town called Knottsville, K-N-O-T-T-S-V-I-L-L-E. Over time, my mom got married to a preacher. Seemed like a stellar preacher, anointed man of God. Became a state bishop in the denomination that he was serving. I was born into that family with my mom and my dad and my older sister and younger sister. When I was five years old, my dad walked in and left mom and said, I'm leaving, and my mom didn't know what to do. We were living in a parsonage owned by uh, the denomination at the time. So we had to move out. They gave us two weeks, and mom called uh, her parents, said, I don't know what else to do but move home. My grandparents by this time were blessed financially. My grandmother and grandfather said, sure, Joyce, bring the kids, come on home. We went back to Owensboro. We were in West Virginia at that time, went back to Owensboro. I moved in with my grandparents. When they found that they were going to be responsible for three children along with my mom, they built a whole section on the house. And they began to take us to church. help us overcome bitterness and anger and the woundedness of our situation. They taught me about God and about Jesus. Every now and then I go back to the home place where I was raised, where that extension on the house was built. I did recently, and I sat in the driveway. Knottsville is a little bitty burg, a little bitty town. It has more... Uh, alcohol establishments than grocery stores or gas stations. Very, very sinful place. Filled with abuse and violence, drugs, alcohol, addiction. And every time I go there, I have this feeling. It's, it sort of goes like this. I sat in the driveway recently looking at that what used to seem like a big house, that little house, driving through this place that's so dark. And I say something like this, that's impossible. It's impossible that a broken-hearted kid could move into this kind of dark neighborhood and end up going all over the world and preaching the gospel and becoming the president of Oral Roberts University, that is impossible. That's impossible. Yeah. 
And when I say, Lord, how can this be? How can this happen? Oh, I hear, I hear clarity from heaven. He's, he's clear with me. Billy, it's not because of you or how smart you are or how good you are how good looking you are, how much charisma you have, or the people you know, or the doors that have been opened to you. No, no, no. Billy, it's because of me. My spirit has done this in your life, and I lifted you out of this hellhole and made something out of you by my spirit. And I want to tell you today, listen closely, nothing is impossible with God. At this Christmas, you may be facing mountains of impossibility that you think are uncrossable and unfathomable. Jesus teaches us in his word that if we have faith as a grain of mustard seed, nothing, nothing will be impossible to us. If we're willing to believe him, even when it seems impossible, even when the mountain seems unmovable, he says, if you just believe me, you'll move from improbability and absurdness and impossibility into the land of possibility, and you'll be able to say to that mountain, remove, and it'll be cast aside and go into the sea. If you believe me, all things are possible. <laughs> wow. Some of you here today, you say, my life is such a mess, Dr. Wilson. And when I get to the holidays, it seems like it just looks and feels worse. And I wonder, I wonder, I wonder you're saying in your heart, if God could do anything with this mess, I'm here to tell you, I got a word for you. God's got a word for you. <laughs> You're still breathing. There's still hope. There's, do you hear me? There's still hope. And whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this fountain of life is open to whosoever will. And if God could change me, he can change you. He can make all things new. He can separate your sins from you as far as the east is from the west. He can cast them into his sea of forgetfulness. He can take your mess and turn it around and use it as a platform for his glory. If you'll believe him and trust him and come to him. Or some of you in this room may be facing a mountain crisis of health in your life. You've got a word that's not from God. It's from man or even from the enemy. The prognosis is not good. The diagnosis is not good. And you wonder, what can I do? Well, I tell you what you need. You need a word from God. And when you get one, believe it. And trust God's timing. Hallelujah. Because the Holy Spirit is always at work. Even when we don't see Him, when we don't feel it, when we don't know, the Holy Spirit is working. Do you understand me? Do you hear me? Between Malachi and Matthew, the Holy Spirit was working. God was orchestrating. God was moving in the world. So the promise would come at just the right time. So this morning, though you may not see it manifested yet, believe it. Let God plant His seed in your heart and let it gestate until the promise comes forth in the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. And you know it's God. How about you today? You need a miracle? You need a possible Christmas with possibilities? 
If you're here today and you say, Dr. Wilson, as I face the holidays, I, I need a miracle. My own life, my family, my body, my finances. Just raise your hand right where you're seated. Come on, just lift it up. Lord, bless these all over this room, all up in the balcony. You need a supernatural Christmas. You need a miraculous Christmas. You need God to give you a word. Or some of you have been gestating on a word for a long time. God wants to bring it to birth during this holiday season. Wow. I walked in this sanctuary last night to preach for the first time this weekend. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me between the door and my seat. And said, around this altar this weekend, there are going to be births of promise. Some people will have been gestating their promise for many years. And I'm going to bring to birth what God, what I have put in their hearts. And there's going to be deliverance in this altar during this weekend. I keep getting this from the Lord. I want to speak it. Somebody in this room, about 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, at the holiday season, God gave you a word. And for 10 years, it is gestated in your spirit. You've never seen it happen yet, but it's gestating. God wants to say to you today, listen closely, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you. The power of the highest is going to overshadow you. And the promise is going to come forth in this season. So if you're here today and you need a miracle, in your family, your heart, your body, your finances during this Christmas, and you believe God is able to do the impossible, I want you to stand right now. Just if you need a miracle in your life, stand up right now, all over this room. If you're sick, you need a miracle of healing. If you're carrying something, you need to get rid of it. Come on. If you've got an addiction you can't seem to escape and you know it's going to take a miracle to break you free, but you're willing to believe God, stand up right now. Stand up. Come on, there's a few more. God's speaking to you. You're in a mess. Your life is a mess. You feel like you're sunk in a, uh, a sea of impossibility. But I see in the midst of that God's hand reaching down for you. Take it. Take it today. And he'll lift you out of the miry clay. He'll set your feet on a rock. He'll give you a whole new established life. And he'll put a new song in your heart. Even praise unto our God. Now listen, if you're standing I want you to join me at this altar. So please, if you're standing, I want you to come right now. Everyone else stand as they're coming so they can get out easy. Come on, give God praise all over this room from the top of the balcony. Come on, come on, everybody, everybody. You need a miracle. You need God to fix it. You need God's help. You believe God. You believe God. This is your statement of faith. I believe you, God. I believe you can do the impossible. I believe you can do what man cannot do. Come on, come on. Come on, there's somebody else right over in this area. Come on, God's speaking to you. Don't wait, don't wait, don't wait. You've had a promise a long time. You need to claim it today. Somebody way up in this corner, God's speaking to you. You think it's over. It's not over. You think it's over in your marriage. It's not over. We serve a God of the resurrection who can make things alive that are dead. He can make love where there's hatred right now. He can redeem. He can restore. Many of you know my story. After 15 years, my parents came back together. And the last 35 years of my dad's life, they were in full-time ministry. Nothing, 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 nothing is impossible with God. Come on, come on, come on. They're coming from all over. Come on, give God praise, church. Come on. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Oh, how's this going to happen? Well, it's going to happen by the power of the Holy Spirit.
If you come forward today, I want you to lift both hands to heaven. I'm going to pray for you, and then you're going to pray with me out loud. Lord, I pray you'd hear our cry now. And I pray you'd minister to my friends. Oh, my, my, my. Nothing is too hard for you, God. So I pray right now, all over this room, faith would rise because of your word. What you did with Mary. If you can do this, you can do anything, God. We believe it. So I pray right now, Holy Spirit, come. Come just in ripples of glory across this room. Touching lives, touching hearts, touching families. Do the supernatural. What I cannot do. People have come, Lord. We've gone as far as the human can go. Now do the superhuman, the supernatural. Keep your hands raised. I want you to say with me, Jesus. Say it out loud. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the dead. I believe you were born of a virgin. And I believe you're alive. So today, Jesus, I ask you, Work a miracle in my life. Do the impossible for your kingdom's sake and for your glory. Now, Jesus, I make a covenant with you. Come on, say it. I make a covenant with you. My heart is yours. And every miracle you do in my life, I'm going to share it with the world. I'm going to praise you and glorify you. Amen and amen and amen. Come on, give God praise.